0: To have more community, real community meetings, because there were a lot of meetings taking place in zip codes where the the numbers looked like 68% were white and 4.5%. We're black in that community, so who were you talking to? I really wanna start looking at the sign-in sheets for some of these events that were informing the community and mm-hmm. check the zip codes of where all these people were coming from, because I'm telling you, they're not coming from Jefferson houses, they're not coming from Carver houses, they're not coming from Washington, they're not coming from over at least this side of town. Mm-hmm. And it's really unfortunate because then our legacy market, i
1: Welcome to
2: Blue Dream Radio, the People's Cannabis Podcast, a weekly podcast giving communities of color a dose of the real deal in the cannabis industry. Learn with us, smoke with us, and join us as we bring truth to
1: power.
2: Thank
1: you so much for
2: joining us. Uh, this is our live episode of Blue Jean Radio. And we're doing things a little differently. Um, what we're doing is we're doing this uh, Facebook slash Zoom live um, event. And we wanted to talk about cannabis and cannabis being essential now in this time of COVID-19. Um, and we have some pretty amazing guests here uh, with us today. My name is Ali G. For those of you who don't know me, I'm super excited to be moderating our panel for today. Um, and we have some pretty awesome sponsors who are supporting us in our work. Um, so we have folks like Fast Money Farms, um, ACBD Remedy, Supreme Green Cuisine. Uh, let's see. I think that's a Pops NYC, my bad. Pops, uh, sending you lots of love and props. Um, and so uh, we're here today to start talking about cannabis and Uh, the importance of cannabis here in the United States also globally, but how cannabis has been um, really at the crux, at the intersection of so many different social justice, um, or social injustices um, here in this country. And We've compiled a group of um, panelists, our experts, if you will, who are going to be joining us and talking a little bit more about just uh, what cannabis is um, and how cannabis has impacted everyone's life uh, whether folks realize it or not Um, so on our panel we have the amazing michelle fields uh say hi michelle hello everyone (laughs) um we have i'm looking at from the order in which i see we have uh the brilliant audrey funk let me take you off Uh, let's see See hand. All right. Um, we have the freak, the relentless freaking uh, guerrera uh, Pilar de Jesus. Hey. What's up, What's up
0: Pilar? <laughs> and,
2: and then we have um, the always brilliant uh, Rebelin Vargas. Hello. Um. <laughs> Awesome. So we have um, a really exciting uh, panel that we want to get started with. Um, But before I do that, I just wanted to kind of set the stage for just the context and give some context behind uh, why we're here today. Um, So we're here today because cannabis is essential. And I think uh, most of us, if not all of us here, um, recognize that. Um, cannabis is super essential simply because it's been a part of our lives as people of color, um, not only for the past few decades, but frankly for centuries. Uh, uh, cannabis has in fact uh, been proven um, that uh, has it's actually been woven into uh, just the daily functions of our lives, whether it be through cannabis, the, the plant that folks smoke um, for their own uh, health and wellness, or... Whether it's through its cousin hemp, that's been used uh, as a form of uh, fabric, um, some people say that um, it was used to or to write the declaration the declaration of Independence. So it's been a huge part of um, of the history of our country, of the United States, and also throughout the world. Um, In in New York State, and that's where we're going to be focusing a lot of our energies on today, um, there is one bill that is of extreme importance to us and it's called uh, the MRTA or the Marijuana Reform and Taxation Act. Um, and we'll speak a little bit more about it, Um, but it really has four major pillars, um, or main pillars, I shouldn't say only four, but there are main pillars that are really uh, kind of set the foundation for this bill and what makes this bill so important in comparison to bills that have passed, state bills that have passed in California or Colorado, Oregon or Washington State. Um, And actually the foundation of, of that bill of the MRTA is actually seen in the bill that was passed um, in Illinois last year. So some of those foundations are around uh, racial equity, um, just equity period, cannabis equity, which again, we'll talk more further about later on, Um, community reinvestment, which is huge, especially as we talk about the impacts of uh, cannabis and marijuana um, on communities of color in this country. And um, just a, just uh, the health program, so how um, publicly how um, the medicinal use of this of cannabis uh, would be impacting our folks in the community um, moreover um, you know as we talk a little bit more about it, we have to also be clear that the reason why uh, the reason why cannabis was or marijuana ganja whatever you want to call it was initially um, made illegal it was made illegal in nineteen thirty seven through the marijuana um, I have it in here. Marijuana Tax Act, and to note that marijuana was actually spelt with an H, not with a J, and it was done purposely in order to really put a target on the people who they wanted to uh, really focus in on, in terms of those the, the people who are um, um, who have been up who they feel who they felt that needed to be targeted, and it's very very similar to what's going on today in terms of the uh, administration in Washington, D.C., putting a target on certain people um, and used to scapegoat them. So uh, in the 1930s, the then kind of drug czar ahead of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics before the DEA was established, was a gentleman named, or real piece of shit, excuse my language, um, Henry Aslinger, um, who really was focused in on um, just oppressing people. Um, And he's actually was known as a known racist and classist. um, And he specifically targeted people of color and black people in the United States. People like Billie Holiday and Louis Armstrong specifically because of their open cannabis usage and because of their um, ability to really cause uh, an impression. Um, And they had a following people really uh, believed in the work they were doing and their music. Uh, Billie Holiday is best known for some of her strange fruit for one of her songs that really got her into a lot of trouble and put um, the target on her back. And you know, it's, it's, it's known that really um, Henry Aslinger really went out of his way to, to find her and to oppress her and essentially then, then to kill her thereafter. Um, so the law was passed specifically to oppress and systemically harass people of color. Um, and then once the law was then passed, then we're taught, then we think about fast forwarding to today where hundreds of thousands if not millions of people of color have gone through uh, the, um, the prison industrial complex, have been incarcerated, they and their, their families have been targeted and communities have been devastated. I'm sure most of us here on this, um, in, in this space can talk to an experience that they have had or their family members have had, or someone close to them have had being uh, incarcerated, and how devastating it is to your family, both financially, emotionally, um, psychologically. And then, you know, that goes back further into generational trauma. So now we're here, where we have the ability to change the law state by state until uh, the federal government creates a law, and we don't want to be half-assed about it. We wanna be really intentional about what we do um, and make sure that of all the years, of all the decades our folks have been oppressed through this really, really terrible legislation, this, these terrible laws, that they finally get it right. That we don't let someone else make decisions on our behalf, but instead that we are the ones who are out there fighting and ensuring that the legislation that it is passed is going to benefit our communities, the people who have been most negatively impacted by the war on drugs. And guess what, the same people who fought against this, um, are the same people who are poised to make lots and lots of money um, and want to keep us out. And so that's why we're here. We're here to be able to talk about this a little bit further. Uh, like I mentioned, since we had some new folks come on, my name is Ellie G. I'm the co-host of Blue Dream Radio, a podcast, the People's Cannabis Podcast. Uh, we um, drop our new episodes every Saturday at 4:20 PM. Um, and you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you find your podcasts. I am a community organizer by trade. Been doing community organizing work for 15 years um, in New York, uh, in Connecticut, uh, throughout the country, and in Puerto Rico. Um, and cannabis is a part of my life. Although I am a uh, I am a cannabis supporter, I do not um, consume cannabis. But I definitely have seen how in my own life cannabis has been used for medicinal purposes. Uh, my own father, um, who no longer is with us, but um, in the latter part of his life um, had uh, severe liver disease. And the only thing that got him up and out and actually functioning was being able to consume cannabis. It gave him uh, an actual appetite and allowed him to eat and function uh, amidst this really, really terrible disease that he was fighting against. So a little bit about me and uh, we're going to jump into it. So uh, we're going to start off with uh, Michelle Fields, who, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about who she is and why she is an expert. Um, we're gonna give her a minute to talk about that and then we're gonna just dive into her area of expertise. Michelle, b- before um, I unmute you, Michelle is super humble as are all of our panelists. So if I have to interrupt them and big them up with all of their, amazing qualifications, I will do so. Um, but yeah, Michelle is, a, um, is an attorney and uh, she is uh, just freaking amazing, yes. Yeah. So Michelle, go <laughs> right ahead and uh, I'll yield the space to you. Happy Friday to everyone. Happy Friday to all of my
3: ladies on the panel. Um, wow, so like Liz, I'm not a professional connoisseur. I'm kind of geeky. I'm kind of curious, I like the science and the business behind um, this market, Um, the legal business of um, cannabis. I write a lot um, for a local newspaper here in Queens um, on not only regulatory compliance, but on, you know, state, you know, emerging legislation, such as the more federal as well as state, such as the more the MRTA and the CRTA. Just bring in the information to our people and really, you know, simplifying it so that people can understand what these new bills look like in regards to the legal business of cannabis. Um, And so that's where I'm at. um, And I'm just happy to be here today to be a part of the panel and to share, you know, my expertise. Awesome.
2: Thank you. Um, Can you talk about the Mary Jane
3: Consulting Group? Well, the Mary Jane um, Consulting Group, we do a lot of consulting in regards to global compliance and how to keep emerging companies compliant. What are the directs in different states? How do you now form your cannabis corporation? Um, What other disclosure requirements? in regards to this industry, which is an industry that requires a lot of transparency. Mm -hmm. Um, What is regulatory ownership? How does that look? How do you now formulate SORs for your particular company in the different um, jurisdictions? What is the market analysis for your particular jurisdiction in regards to not only medicinal, but recreational um, retail on a state level as well as a global level. Um, and also just providing just basic information for those that are looking to enter into the ancillary you know, opportunities of this industry. And just bringing about clarification in regards to what can I do? Um, what are the laws? What is the you know, Controlled Substance Act? how do I operate within those guidelines and what are the regs in a different state, not only in New York, but um, California, Colorado, and the
2: other um, legal States as well. Awesome. So Michelle, talk to us a little bit about um, cannabis legalization. So cannabis businesses, businesses, like I said, are poised to make a lot, a lot of money. However, cannabis businesses are much more than just dispensaries i think that's the one thing that people always think about i'm going to open up a cannabis business i'm going to open up a dispensary but it's much more than that so can you talk about business and cannabis the legacy market aka our street pharmacists um ancillary businesses and what are uh, multi-state operators
3: well your multi-state operators we have in particular here in New York, we have 10. Those are registered medicinal dispensaries, registered with um, organizations, registered with the state of New York. Now, in regards to um, the coronavirus, all 10 of those registered organizations in the state of New York are now um, considered essential businesses. Not only are they considered essential businesses here in New York state, But as you go down the Tri-State area, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Connecticut, all of the medicinal and medical dispensaries are now considered essential businesses. So they will stay open. Um, They will not close down. However, in Massachusetts, the medical dispensaries are the only ones that are deemed essential businesses. The recreational dispensaries have to close down. Mm -hmm. Even when you are considered a a essential business in regards to the ROs, you still have certain protocols that you have to follow. You have to establish protocols to protect not only your your employees, but your clients as well. And you have to put in those um, protocols in regards to social distances. Um, Social distances, you have to you know, really be compliant with PMP, um, and really make sure that, PMP, Michelle. um, the PMP is actually the prescription, um, requirement and in making sure that everyone has their valid medical marijuana card. Um, and once you have, um, verified that marijuana, um, the PMP as well as a valid, ID, you also have to allow, one, your dispensary can do door cells and they can also do deliveries, but you have to be registered to do deliveries, even with your res- registered organizations. So what's happening here in New York State is that you have 10 ROs, but the delivery component, there's not. they don't have the critical capacity because you, you have over 100,000 patients. So, how are you going to serve all of those patients if you don't have that transportation ability to make deliveries?
2: Absolutely. So, talk to us about legalization and the legacy market, the black market. How does legalization impact, you know, our our folks on the streets? Frankly, it really doesn't.
3: <laughs> the you know, the legacy market is always going to be robust. It's always going to be sustainable um, because you have the locality um, factor, you have the authenticity factor, people know their product, people are familiar with um, the legacy market and those players, and you have a price um, point that is not as high on the regulatory
2: market. Um, and then, I guess, talk to us from a legal perspective. How does cannabis legalization fit into a system which continues to criminalize folks for cannabis? Can ask that again? So from a legal perspective, how does cannabis legalization fit into the system which continues to criminalize cannabis? So like, for example, um, in New York State, um, med- medicinal cannabis users, um, only have access to certain, certain types of, uh, cannabis, but not, for example, flower, not the actual, you know, weed for lack of a better term. Um, how does that, how does that fit into cannabis legalization? Why, why is it important that the system itself, um, just catch up to, to, to the, the changes in technology as it relates to cannabis and how does legalization impact all of that as well?
3: Well, The need for legalization is important because number one, you will now stop criminalizing already criminalized communities for possession. That's number one. Number two, in New York City, you have the decriminalization marijuana bill, which allows you to have, possess up to two ounces without it being a crime, and now becomes a violation. However, Even with the decriminalization, you still have those Black and Latinos in those criminalized communities being arrested. Even once the decriminalization marijuana um, bill was passed here, you had an uptick in arrests in the Stapleton area of um, Staten Island, South Jamaica, you know, Brownsville, East New York. You still are having those arrests. So that has not changed at all um that's number 2 number 3 when it comes to total you know um legalization you you're not only going to have to have it on the state level but you need it on a federal level too um on the federal level you're going to ha- allow those that have have federal convictions you're going to allow those to have those convictions you know expunged um right now you can't have any federal expungements on the State level, you can have expungement, especially if you you live in New York State. You you can have um, a state expungement or state ceiling if you have a possession of marijuana. Um, And that's the beauty of, on a state level, on a federal level, you're going to have to need, you're going to need total descheduling as well as decriminalization.
2: Um, And then how, for for businesses, why is it important for descheduling? for, let's say, for example, for like banking purposes?
3: Well, well, banking is federal. Banking is federal. That's where you get into whether or not you can have, you know, loans from a bank, um, SBA loans, whether you can do deposits. Right now, there is no banking, you know, um, opportunities for the cannabis, you know, industry because it's all federal. That's number one. Number two, um, once it is the schedule, a lot of the cannabis organizations do not run a risk of running afoul of the controlled Substance Act because now it's taken off of a Schedule one. It's no longer under the SCA. So you no longer will run the risk of, you know, running afoul of this SCA money laundering. Um, you no longer will run afoul of, You know not only money laundering but the looping laws um you know transportation laws um so it needs to be totally um descheduled
2: and taken out. are any of those multi-state operators or are people period are they being impacted right now are they taking some of these corporations um to court um based on some on the on federal laws um
3: there's a lot of SEC investigations due to overvaluation of stock um, in regards to a lot of, of these um, huge cannabis corporations. So you ha- you're having a lot more SEC investigations. You're having a lot more, you're seeing a lot more pyramid schemes, especially out West. Um, you're seeing a lot of, you know, these major cannabis corporations, um, they're closing down They're, you know, they're laying off people um, and investors are filing, you know, um, these complaints. And now you have a lot more SEC investigations.
2: Um, And then talk to us, you said, uh, you mentioned something about ancillary businesses. What is, what is that? And how does that relate to, to the cannabis industry? Well,
3: ancillary business, um, a lot of people um, know it as not touching a plant, but not touching implant doesn't mean that you don't. You're not still under the guidance of the CSA um, because you're going to still have that that connection. Whether you are doing trademarks, whether you're doing transportation, whether you're doing um, security work for a cannabis company or trans you know, uh, money to a designated area, whether you're a bud tender, whether you are a consumption lounge, um, what, you know, you still have, um, you know, that CSA to uh, consider, but the ancillary just gives you more opportunity to not, you know, have direct contact with the plant. And it also, with the ancillary opportunities, your startup startup costs are not as much it's you know your your segue into that industry is a lot more you have a lower cost in regards to um investment costs
2: for sure so like for example and i didn't mention them up front but like presto doctor who's also sponsoring this um this this roundtable presto doctor uh their CFO, Rob Tankton, had given a great idea of an ancillary business that's very necessary to, um, to the cannabis industry, which is web development. So lots of dispensaries need someone to frankly, just make their, make them go online and have them have like websites and stuff. And that's a great ancillary business where you're not actually touching the plant, as you say, um, but it gives them the ability to also be a part of this industry and support, support the actual industry, to support the folks who are actually distributing.
3: And also now, because everyone is going virtual, you have non-traditional marketing methods in this industry, those influencers, those IG influencers are going to be, you know, a, an ancillary business if they are now able to do marketing for a lot of you know, um, products, cannabis products, whether it be, you know, recess, um, whether it be for pins and, you know, whether it be for a company like Comeback Daily, you now have the potential to use these, you know, um, influencers to really market your products, your business, and because everyone now is virtual. Everyone now is going virtual. So to how do you now continue to reach your your market, your customers? Now it's going to be about those influencers who's going to be able to drive, you know, a presence and drive, you know, have some traction to come to their, their page and now are able to market your business for you. Awesome. Is there anything else you want to add, Michelle? Um, I... I think this is a great opportunity for us to really, as, you know, people of color, to really take advantage of this time to think about our position, our visibility in this industry. How can we utilize our cultural, you know, norms, for instance, SUSUS and, you know, um, yeah and what's the other one uh partners to finance certain you know cannabis you know businesses and not so relying on um a loan from a bank or an investors let's utilize the power and the money that we have in our communities already let's start collaborating let's start you know talking to our family members our friends and say let's let's collaborate let's go into this let's co-op
2: these micro businesses together and i think that's where we need to start Great. Thank you. And that's a perfect segue to Rabelin, our queen of cooperatives. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So uh, thank you, Michelle. So Rabelin, talk to us about worker cooperatives and how they fit into the cannabis space. Wait, put yourself on your mute still. Let me unmute you.
4: Okay, so I want to backtrack a little bit because I want to... First, um, really talk about why I'm involved in this cannabis industry, in this legalization. And I want to first not call it cannabis, I want to call it marijuana, um, because I I don't want to continue to use the corporate terms to try to distance themselves and and act as though that um, what has happened in the past few decades against our people is something that's going to, like, it's not going to continue. So that's why, you know, um, the Marijuana Regulation Taxation Act is part of a campaign that I've been working on the past year, is to really be involved in the social civil rights aspect of it, about how the the country, all throughout the United States, you know, marijuana is being legalized and white people are the ones making money while our bodies are sitting in prison for that. Mm-hmm. And MRTA was formed, this coalition by, that's spearheaded by um, Drug Policy Alliance and it's called Start Smart New York, um, which is about 40 statewide organizations all throughout New York State. We've been working really hard to really hold on to the fact that this is a social civil rights issue for our people. And, and we, need, um, we need economic justice. And w- when we're talking about our people that have records, that have been disenfranchised, that have... Because of the arrests that we have had, the felony convictions for the past 40, at least in my generation, every single man my age that grew up in the 80s, the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, they all have a charge, so guess what? They didn't get to go to school they're not able to have a regular job they're not collecting any pension a lot of them are still living with their mothers because they cannot get an apartment because of these charges um, they have been totally been pushed out of the market and are not able to enter into any type of business or get their own enterprises going no matter what because of these marijuana convictions and so what is so when I joined the um, The coalition last year, we were, you know, the challenge was is that what is the framework in which our people with our records and our lack of access to capital, our lack of training, um, all all the lacks that you need to start a business, uh, well, you know, I was asked to join the coalition and lead the cooperative um, effort. Because in New York City in 2014, there was an initiative called the Worker Cooperative Business Development Initiative that formed independently of marijuana legalization to address the fact that we were under, we went through an incredible recession where black and brown people all throughout New York City were not able to get any type of job. And so a group of activists went to the city council and said, let us, give, let us start our own co-ops here in New York City and let us find our own solution about how to lift our communities out of poverty. And since that time, since 2014 to so the year 2020, in less than six years, New York City now has the largest worker-owned cooperative um, um, companies being formed in the entire United States. And our largest worker owned cooperative is based in the Bronx and it 's made of home care workers where they have two thousand worker owners where they get the city the state contract to provide home care services and they pay themselves their fair wage and they, put, they create their own pension they have their own they, they do their own training. It is one of the most successful worker owned businesses that, in the world because it 's also one of the largest worker owned businesses in the world. <laughs> And so, 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 so when, it became, when it came to co-ops and, and marijuana legalization, it was just a natural fit. This is how we can really talk about economic justice in our community, not only to repair the harms and decriminalize all the abuses, um, um, and also to address the fact that our Black and brown bodies are the ones that are going into prison, even though white people, if not use it as much, if not more, but they're not the ones going into prison and 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 getting the stigma and getting the violation and losing their future and opportunities because of the um, of the charges that they they carry on forever. When so when we talk about um, why they, this was a viable a, a viable instrument, this this framework is because. We have, in the past six years, in New York City, we've been able to prove to the, state co- the city controller and to the city, and our movement has been growing little by little. People, we have now co-ops. There's one co-op that has already made a million dollars. We have a few, and these are immigrant people who taught themselves the skills and upskilled themselves and learned their industry and they learned their expertise and they paid themselves the wages. And so, this is a, these are the type of models that we want to use in, in this legalization effort so that our legacy market can now enter and become official. They don't have to hide undercover. They don't have to no longer be on the street. They should open up their own storefront and not have like people standing on the corner passing out bags when they can just pretty much also sell on the street. And and so what, one of the things that we really fall on very specifically about MRTA, which is different than what the governor Cuomo has proposed. And I really want to make this very important statement because it did not pass this year, did not pass last year. And um, a lot is because, you know, Governor Cuomo promised that it was gonna pass this year. But the bottom line is, is that Governor Cuomo's Cannabis Regulation and Taxation Act had absolutely no provisions for our communities, did not do anything to repair the harms that, you know, um, marijuana, uh, marijuana criminalization has caused into our community, and, and there was absolutely zero support because the MRTA, um, sponsored by State Senator um, Elizabeth Kruger and Assembly Movement Crystal People Stokes, which includes very strong core values for racial and economic justice and uh, reforming the criminal justice system so that when marijuana gets decriminalized, um, we will have automatic expungement that there's going to be resources to like work with attorneys for immigrants who have um, uh, who have, who have these uh, who should have the records erased but not not challenge immigration um, status as, as, as towards the pathways to citizenship or the pathways to residency it has also a very strong performance for community reinvestment because when the you know I live in Washington Heights, and I actually I live in, a, in the on the block where Mayor Giuliani created the first model block. When it was overly policed, we were getting arrested left and right, and the the collateral damage that these over-policing tactics have done in the communities, of over-criminalizing the communities, underfunding all our programs, overcrowded schools, no textbooks, etc., has done generational harm to our communities. And the MRTA has a strong provision for community reinvestment that definitely at least 50% of our revenue should go back into the community for education, for rehab, for reentry, for a whole range of services, and and there was no way that we in the coalition were going to have Mr. Uh, cannabis legalization happen now on the way Cuomo has, um, has has his program proposed. And so for us in the cooperative movement, we're ready. In New York City, we're gonna we're ready. We're um, Green Worker Cooperatives where I'm the advocacy coordinator. We're already starting to talk to, um, we're inviting people. If you have a a dream and a team, come to our info session and talk about how you want to get involved in the marijuana business. And like what Michelle was talking about, um, there, there are over 65 different types of jobs, you can, businesses that you can start that you don't even have to touch the plant and don't require a license, but can be part of the new market that is eventually going to come down in New York City. And what we're also calling for in the MRTA, and, it's, it, and I'm so glad that you talked about the delivery, um, we are also trying to say that for the first two years of legalization, that the delivery licenses should only be for the people most impacted by marijuana arrests. Right, right. And so those communities are like, you know, the top 10 are Brownsville, East New York, um, Washington Heights, Harlem, um, Sunset Park, and you know, you know, you can just imagine all the rest. And these are the communities that we want to have first dibs on certain licenses, and that's what MRTA is fighting for. And also, and then as, but because of the capital that you're going to need to get the license, we ask in the cooperative um, model is that we will get from the government technical support, technical training, low interest or zero interest loans. And one of the benefits about here in New York City that what we have is we have a a loan fund partner called the working world that only lends to co-ops. So we already have a built-in mechanism in which where we can borrow money to launch our business. We're ready. We here in New York City. I cannot speak to New York State, but in New York City, we're ready to launch launch MJ Co-ops all over in every single aspect of the the whole the aspect of the industry. Whether it's plant touching, another registered organization, whether it's just to be, uh, you know. a uh, a delivery service, just a website company. Be a bookkeeper. Be a marketer. It doesn't really matter. But you, we are ready to support you, train you. Um, GreenWorker has a five-month program where we train you and school you up about how to launch, to plan your business, launch your business, think about your business. And by the time you do five months of this intensive, kick your ass, you know, training boot camp, and not only do you come out fully understanding all the responsibility of what, what it takes to build the business, but we also have a coalition of wraparound services. We have lawyers to provide you with incorporation and continuing guidance. We also have bookkeepers that will help you set up your books. And we also have some spaces have incubation spaces where you can get a desk from the, you know, that's um, that's subsidized by the city. So we, it's like once you join the cooperative movement, We are holistically, we provide holistic services all throughout, so you're never alone in this process. You will always have continuing education and technical assistance. We always work together to make sure that the latest information is available to you because I had another business before I was a cooperative. I used to have my own pizza shop Mm -hmm. and I had to close it um, because I was all by myself. I had nobody, I mean, I kept going through SCORE and Small Business Administration and the Pace University and Weibo. I did all those programs, but I was still alone, and I was very, and, and I did not, it was not a adaptive programming where I started and I got went through all the paces in an adaptive, accumulative way that I needed to learn so I could grow my business. I, it was a lot of one of offs and because I was so young, I didn't, really, didn't I took things out of, I took, I took a lot of classes out of the wrong, in the wrong way, so I was not able to properly apply the information I was learning. When you join, at least in New York City, The cooperative movement, we, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of, we're still learning, it's a new movement, but the commitment is to continue to grow our businesses together in whatever type of company you want to launch as a co-op. And I want to specifically address that there are many different types of co-op. We focus on the worker owner. Cooperative. There are producer co ops, consumer co ops. They are like, you know, like consumer co ops is like Park Slope Food Co op. Like the people who are um, buying in Park Slope on Food Co op are the, are, the, are the cooperators, but they don't, and, and they volunteer to work it, but, but they only form so that they can buy things together. Um, sure. uh, worker owners, the employees own the business, and it's one member, one vote, and it's a democratic process about all the major decisions that have to be done by the, by, by the, by the company. And so it is still a business, but it's a business that focuses on workplace democracy, on dignity, on paying yourself a fair wage, planning your future together, and also reinvesting back into the community.
2: Sure. That so, sounds awesome. Thank you, Rabel. And I have a question since I didn't get you, give you a chance to um, um, introduce yourself. One minute introduction. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Obviously, you are our, our, you, you are our expert on cooperatives, but talk to us about about you and how you- so i i guess the like there's a lot
4: of okay i would say for me the only way to really describe what who have i see myself in, in relationship to no matter where i am and what job i hold in whatever title i hold in, i am the problem solver so, I have been organizing in New York City. I am an immigrant from the Dominican Republic, and um, I come from a huge family, and I was the first person to learn English, and when you're the first person to learn English, guess what happens in our community? <laughs> Dang, I was already trained to be an organizer since I was six. Yes. So, so I've been on the phone dealing with systemic oppression since I was six years old, not even understanding words. I did not know how to pronounce, but I had to represent my family that way. But in that ex- life experience, I have worked through um, a whole range of issues on um, uh, prison industrial complex, immigration reform. I am the president of my tenants association, where we just won a major landmark case against a slum on like alma. Look it up, G. V. S. V. Vargas. People should, like, if, you, if your building doesn't have a current certificate of occupancy. You don't have to pay rent. Anyway, that's just one of my-
2: (laughs) We're gonna talk about that further too. But
4: that's that's, that's the work that I do. I work work to solve problems in my community in every space that I occupy.
2: Awesome, thank you, Rayblin. All right, so let me move on. So Pilar, um, we can unmute you. so, so much that we can, we can talk about. But I really want you to, first of all, um, introduce yourself, and then we'll go into some questions. Okay.
0: <clears throat> hey, everyone. Um, I'm Pilar de Jesus. Uh, I'm born and raised in East Harlem, Mexican, Puerto Rican, community activist. Um, I'm also, by day, I am an advocacy coordinator in the tenant unit with the tra- um, Take group. Justice, formerly known as um, Community Development Project. I am a board member of NYC Normal. <clears throat> I am a board member of East Harlem Preservation. I am the state coordinator for National Expungement Week. I am a co founder of one of the marijuana worker cooperatives that came out of Green Greenworker, uh, Workers Academy. Um, I'm an aunt, um, but that's like my favorite, my favorite role out of all of them being an aunt. Um, You know, a lot of my friends call me a superhero. Um, I'm also very fearless. Um, I'm an Aries, so I'm a fire sign. I'm a leader. (laughs) I'm very passionate. Um, Some people say I'm too passionate and have given me the nickname Pilala Problema, and I embrace that with a whole bunch of love because I do bring the problems like if you're right then (laughs) i'm going to hold you accountable for that and it all comes from a place of love and i think that that's where sometimes my passion as people like to pretty much downplay them saying i'm aggressive Mm -hmm. um is all from love i'm a love a lovable person and i'm just tired of my people getting fucked
2: indeed and Mm -hmm. i mean i mean we and i'm also a victim of the war on drugs oh I feel like if we we could all raise our hands about how many days are
0: are. Rikers, so we can talk about that another time, but I can act, been Mm -hmm. homeless for a few days. You Mm -hmm. know, I've, I've been there. I've been targeted in many ways when it comes to being a Latina.
2: For sure. So, um, you are obviously a very well-known cannabis activist or a marijuana ganja, take your pick. Um, April 1st came around and lots of cannabis advocates were really happy that the MRTA or that legalization did not pass in New York State. So can you talk to us about why, why that's the case and why New Yorkers should feel happy that now they have to wait until 2021 to look, forward, look towards uh, recreational marijuana being legalized in New York State?
0: Um, so, in my opinion, I was <clears throat> I was one of those people who was very happy. That's a marijuana cough, not a corona cough. <laughs> um, um, I was one of those people who was happy because, you know, I am part of also the Start Smart Coalition that Raven sits on and a few of others um, of us sit on, and, you know, we had worked really hard to, cr- you know, create this perfect bill, the MRTA. And we knew that the Governor did not put that in his budget. he put his the Como version of it, which is the Como bill, um, which was terrible and so we knew then because of this pandemic that was happening we couldn't we couldn 't be there as activists as lobbyists in support of legalization to be there to really <clears throat> explain why it was important for many of the reasons that um mentioned when it comes to the co-ops and the stuff that michelle mentioned when it comes to criminalization and all those things and so it's different when you're not in front of them and then they're also dealing with this big crisis and it, it didn't make any sense to me that you know unlike other states like chicago chicago stopped business like It didn't go to let's get back to normal and go on with these laws that were going to screw us. And that's something that people need to really pay attention. Our government has a history of um, passing laws, especially harmful laws that will harm us um, during a time of crisis or during a time of like celebration. So like Christmas, New Year's, you know, Obama passed the National Defense um, Act. However, the acronym, the NDAA and around New Year's Eve, you know, so all the bills get um, passed during crisis and bad moments. And so, you know, bail reform, it was going to get rolled back, got rolled back. And so the bills that were going to be passed, which Carter was going to be passed was bad. It was bad for us. Another thing is, is that You know, the coalition has worked really hard. And I know Raiblin mentioned that the numbers that we were looking, those were like some of the numbers that yeah, 50% for community reinvestment. But for this year, we really wanted to to try to really see what those numbers look like in each of those communities, the communities that have been directly affected by marijuana prohibition. And each community had a different need. Each community, you know, each community board was asking for this, the one thing that every community board was aligned with in the most harmed communities was that housing was a need. They put affordable. And another thing about this politics, they use words to trick us. Um, and So oh affordable housing is needed. No, low income housing is needed. That was like across the board. But there were other areas that didn't match. And so in my opinion, and as a person who works in, you know, a space where we make democratic decisions together it's not easy um you know i when i was part of the co-op it was not easy and that's another thing we have to teach our people we could tell them to sign up and go bring your ideas to to this and it is it makes sense it does but we also have to teach our people to to heal from the oppressiveness the capitalist oppression they've been dealing with because then they bring that And then they start forgetting the the principles of the co-op, and then it becomes a traumatic space too. So then you could add more trauma and then there's no real support. Um, And so we have to make sure that we actually have those structures in place. And I don't think that we are there. And I think that when we talk about, oh, what is community reinvestment? I can't tell you. I am one person. Yes, I've lived in East Harlem for 39 years, but I can't tell you what all this money should go to. I'm just one out of thousands of people. We have the largest population of public housing in my community. We, the largest, the largest. They deserve to um, get some of that funding. Not that I agree that NYCHA's been good with money, but we needed to talk to people. We needed to have more community, real community meetings, because there were a lot of meetings taking place in zip codes where the the numbers look like 68 percent were white and 4.5 percent we're black in that community. So who were you talking to? I really wanna start looking at the sign-in sheets for some of these events that were informing the community and mm-hmm. check the zip codes of where all these people were coming from. Cause I'm telling you, they're not coming from Jefferson houses. They're not coming from Carver houses. They're not coming from Washington. They're not coming from over at least this side of town. Mm-hmm. And it's really unfortunate because then our legacy market are also getting fucked in that way too. Mm-hmm. You know, the people who may want to get up there We have a lot of, unfortunately, also Black capitalists that are here trying to take away from our legacy market people. And Mm -hmm. it's a real thing. So we're not ready for legalization, in my opinion. And we need more true, true community meetings, participatory. They have what they call, and I've said this, and I'm working on this with um, Blue Dream Radio folks and some others. You know, we really have to start creating more of, you know, Hector uh, Freedom and I were part of, um, you know, the rezoning in East Harlem to getting that information. He was part of the environmental organization. And so they they had these meetings. I don't want it like that. I mean, the people will create what that meeting would look like, but we need to get the community's input. And maybe now because of this crisis, maybe we do it digitally in the way that the The census is is doing it. Because we really need to know from the people, not just these, the people of color pretending to represent my people who are the ones who continue to get harmed. I think it was mentioned, Michelle, you mentioned that people are still being harmed and still being arrested for marijuana. I have a video. I was literally just going bicycle riding, and I'm a cop watcher, I'm a trained cop watcher, and even though I'm technically not allowed to get in trouble with the law right now, I, I was curious, what the fuck is going on? What is? I know these homeless people that are on this block that I was riding the bike, the bike down, and so I felt like they were these were cops fucking with them because they're outside, because I do know that NYPD is also targeting people if they're outside, but homeless people don't got nowhere to go right now. But anyway, so this man... You know, I'm trying to find out what's happening. Someone says, oh, he doesn't speak English. He needs someone to speak Spanish to him. You speak Spanish? And I was like, yeah. And then, you know, of course the cop is telling me to mind my business. I'm saying, you're not allowed to talk to him. You don't even speak his language. You didn't, did you tell him what you were pulling him over for eventually he tells me he stopped him because he was smoking weed. So old man, and not uh, forgive me, like a, a older man, like 60 years old, this was the day before yesterday. <laughs> A, his business, joint, man. a joint, a joint, <laughs> and he was getting harassed. And it was—they looked it up. He got a warrant. I was like, "Oh, so you, what are you going to do? You're going to take him in and put him in jail now? When we got—we're trying to get people out of jail in the middle and, of a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, they want to put more people in jail, harass. Why would you stop him and do that? That's like adding more trauma. And then you're not keeping your distance, also social distancing, because they were all in his face. So it's just like we needed it was, we weren't ready and I think it the, the, the universe knows that we weren't ready because our people are still getting screwed in many ways. Like you mentioned, there there's now considered the essential market and and there's people in jail for it. There's people in jail for a lot of things they shouldn't be in jail for, not just cannabis, because that's another thing. It's larger than cannabis, especially when we talk about expungement. Like it's important, yes, but it's so much bigger than that because as we all know, you know, the 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 convictions hurt us. They hurt us when, when it comes to housing and all these things. And so like right now, you know, something I have questions for some of the other advocates and I'm you know, we're trying to get people out of jail and that's important, but where are they going to go? If people are still being harassed in the street just for smoking marijuana and can be in the where are we going to put them? And, you know, with the, the revenue that comes in from marijuana, we could actually have low income housing, public land use, we could have where the people actually own night to land. We give them training programs on how to do that, implement these programs on public land, teach them how to be a worker co-op. That money can go to that and educate them on, on, on healing and working together because on top of learning how to write a business plan, one of the most important things we need, because we've always been taught to work against each other and being oppressed, and people don't know what it's like to work in a a democratic decision-making model. They say in theory, they love it, but try practicing that if you come from an area that you've been oppressed for so long, getting out that mindset, you need serious support, not just saying that the support is there and then when you reach out, it is not. Because in my experience, I haven't had no support and it has bring uh, um, additional trauma. So we need, we need to really do this the right way. We have the structure, we have the frame,
2: but we really need to practice what we preach. Well, and yeah, I have a question for you. You, I, you, Rabel and Michelle have all mentioned the word expungement. For those folks who don't know what that means and you're wearing the National Expungement Week shirt from last year, can you quickly let us talk to us and if you can, in 30 seconds, what does that mean and why is that important in, in this conversation around legalization?
0: Should I let the lawyer answer? I mean, I could answer, but I don't mind if Michelle
2: <laughs> takes that on. <laughs> All right, Michelle, you're on. 30 seconds, go. <laughs> so in New York State,
3: is not expungement. You can get have your case or cases sealed. Um, if you do not have convictions that are violent or sex-related convictions, uh, federal or out-of-state convictions, and you can't have more than three arrests and convictions, and they have to be older than 10 years. Now, for persons that who are citizens, those case ceilings are, you know, are beneficial. However, for your persons that are legal permanent residents, that don't have status in this country is very problematic because remember, immigration is federal. Mm. Um, so if you are charged with even possession of marijuana and, and this prior to 2019, you still have to provide that information as a part of your naturalization, that certificate of disposition, for most people, even with LPRs, that's problematic. So it's very important for LPRs or persons that don't have status. Please be, you know, clear that you have to consult with an immigration attorney. Just because you know someone says, well, you can get it, you know, sealed, you can get it dismissed, it becomes a violation, you know. Um, it's destroyed. For those that are facing, you know, that are um, LPRs that may have, are currently in immigration court, that becomes problematic because even with that possession, it's still unfederally, it really, you know, allows you to be either placed in removal or deportation.
2: Thanks, Michelle.
3: So for our immigrant you know, community, it's very important that do not take a plea, do not agree to take a plea without consulting an immigration attorney. Know what that violation means, even in immigration c- court. Immigration court is federal. It's more conservative. It's more, you know, stringent. It is by the code. And they're going to um, follow the code um, when it, in regards to whether it's a, a crime of moral turpitude, um, even possession under, and it's still under, if it's under the CSA is, you know, the federal court is gonna say you are in violation of the CIA, cause it's still federal.
4: Indeed. And
2: okay. it's not discheduled. Thanks, Michelle. Ravelin, I'm giving you one minute, and then I'm going to Okay, yeah. Off. I
4: just want to say that MRTA has expungement in the bill, and it's supposed to happen automatically, um, which is one of the biggest criminal justice reform aspects of it. And when decriminalization passed last year, which was a whack-ass, because we want full legalization, um, mm-hmm you know, it was supposed to be automatic expungement or record sealing for those low level offenses. But, but we, we've discovered that um, what we learned from decriminalization last year is that our systems was not ready to deal with the caseload. So people literally have to do a lot of legwork. Um, but, uh, but, but it was a good, it definitely tested our system um, to talk about how expungement is gonna work once MRTA gets passed. But MRTA does include expungement for citizens, um, and to, to un- underscore what Michelle stated, for people who, do, who are only permanent residents and are looking for um, immigrants, um, do not accept an automatic expungement. Work with an immigration lawyer when it does get legalized, because we, you need to have whatever happened with your record, always to be on record so in your application process for your future
2: citizenship or for your future residency. Awesome, Thank you. All right, so um our oh this is a hot topic and about
0: about the expungement week um so like another like everything was mentioned and also like it was we were supposed to see what that would look like this coming like august what the uh, automatic expungements would look like i don't know what's gonna happen now now that this crisis is happening who knows what that's gonna look like we're gonna have to follow that you know national expungement week We're beginning our meetings. Um, We're also working with National Bailout starting a little earlier, um, which is an organization that focuses getting women you know, women of color, black women specifically, um, out of prison and around the the states. And so it's starting a little early, especially because of the crisis. Um, But yeah, that was my point. Just that it's not, um, we're gonna have to see what happens with Automatic and it doesn't really help because nothing also in technology is really gone mm-hmm. you know there's something around there it's a paper, paper yeah. um mm-hmm. and you know and people who are undocumented have to be very careful not only for expungement but also with marijuana we learned that it's even dangerous for you to take a picture with it like you can't take a picture you can't sign that book in the dispensaries um you know and so it's a lot of things we have to be careful and so When we talk about legalization, we want to make sure we do it the right way. The MRTA represented that, you know, and that's why, too, we have some strong people, some strong leaders like Liz Cougar and People Strokes who were like, if it doesn't get, if this is not the way it looks like, then we're not, we're not voting for it. And so we got to, you know, as much as I'm not a big fan of politics, politics, I have to give them that recognition to those women because
2: they're dealing with a lot, especially with COVID. Awesome, so um, Michelle, I'm gonna give, give, I'm gonna give you some time towards the end so we could just keep, keep moving on this piece. Um, so we have um, Audrey, Audrey Funk here, and I wanted uh, Audrey to talk a little bit about the perspective from being someone from, from Mexico, from Puebla, Mexico, you've toured all over Latin America. Um, talk to us first about you. So how do people know you? How can they find you? um that's like a like a little one minute intro with who you are
1: yeah hello girls i'm so happy to be here thank you for the invitation so yeah my name is Audrey Funk i'm from Mexico Puebla and i was i'm 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 a stepdaughter of the Bronx now (laughs) i love i love the Bronx it is my new home um and Uh, well, I'm, I'm an artist, but also, uh, I have a degree in philosophy and also uh, I have a specialization in politics, but I just like. Advocate myself and my my life to music, right? So I I'm a rapper, I'm a singer, but also uh, my music is like a lot has a lot of like protest on it. I love to talk about feminism in Latin America and all around the world and how this system affects you as a woman of color. Uh, now as a migrant, uh, as an immigrant here in the United States, uh, and I love to to talk about this this kind of uh, subject in in not only in my songs but also in my concerts where the people can listen in another space about this information.
2: Awesome. So talk to us about legalization in Mexico. So is it legal in Mexico? Is it as easy, as simple as as we like to think it
1: is? Nah. (laughs) No. First, first of all, in Mexico we have this big, uh, big, huge, enormous problem like the narco, narco trafficking. But there is huge, and it's a very. It is the first social pandemic for us. Narco it It's being uh, so hard, and legalization of marijuana is being a little bit, um, well, slow because of that. Like we know, like narco, they don't make money through the marijuana being honest they Mm -hmm. made money through cocaine methamphetamines, all that things Uh, but marijuana as uh, i i don't remember who said it but it's in the chart right so Mm -hmm. it is illegal so you can make some money through there Uh, also mexico has a very good earth quality that you can plant a bunch of of land of marijuana and also amapola and so Mm -hmm. It's a very long way, but in Mexico, is not been always illegal. Like, you know, in Mexican Revolution, actually, this very, very, very famous song that everybody knows as a Mexican culture is like, La Cucaracha, La, la Cucaracha, na na na, na. Yeah. So, okay, that, that was uh, invented in the times of the revolution in Mexico, and they used to talk about how La Cucaracha smoked marijuana, right? So they they change a little bit the lyrics because they say la cucaracha la cucaracha ya no quiere caminar porque no tiene porque le falta marihuana que fumar, right? So uh, that's why it, it, this lyric came because in the in the revolution the soldiers they smoke marijuana to, you know, to calm the 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 hungerness, the the ache, you know, if they have any, any pain on on their uh bodies but then of course the consciousness starts to blow up and then the mexican government say like you know what yeah it's it was used used for for war times but now mm -mm, we don't want that so they the marijuana became illegal and until now it's illegal and we have some permits over there that are very uh sorry for the word but they are stupid uh like for example like it's okay if you have some disease that you can uh treat with uh, thc or with marijuana or do but you cannot plant because it's illegal but you also cannot buy anywhere because it's illegal so okay, where where is the sense? Like, if you cannot plant your own flower, your own marijuana, then how can you treat yourself with this kind of uh, alternative medicine? So, of course, you can do some. You can go to the to the court to ask for some permits, per, uh, permits. Yeah, but it's it's very long. Like, the first one who has those permits was, I think five or eight persons like two years ago and we are a country of millions of people i think mexico is 100 and something million of people in mexico and only eight persons, a oh, whole that bunch of people who consume marijuana has that permit to uh to grow their own marijuana so it's a very long long way also i think it's important like in my case i don't do this activism as 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 my colleagues here like they are doing the activism in the community very strong they are attorneys they have a lot of information but like for me in my in my side of my job i think activism is a very important and and then i can communicate to the to the community that doesn't like to go to those con like to those kind of i don't know to meetings because they don't feel familiarized with the thing but they are they like music i can do this politic act to do music in front of a lot of people that maybe they don't think they are politicians. They, they are uh, politic beings, but they are, so they can receive this kind of uh, uh, information like, hey, marijuana is not that ma, it, it's, not, it's not bad, you know. Uh, marijuana is important. Marijuana has a long history. And another thing, as a Mexican, we have to learn how to talk this without a taboo. You know, because in our societies as Mexicans, even here, in our communities here, even if we are not in our countries, uh, if we talk with our abuelas or padres y madres or maybe some friends, if we are talking openly as uh, being a marijuana consumer or we are uh, like pro-marijuana, they're like, oh my God, no, you cannot talk about this. Because like, you know, I think like take out these kind of feelings about being, um, um, pro cannabis in every way you have to talk very straight like you know i'm a consumer what else if you are like if you don't can't talk about this it's because you have a taboo in yourself so you have to take all that uh, chains because those are chains that those are colonization in into your your pineal gland you know so it is not important (laughs) so that is my work. i'm sorry
2: no don't be sorry that was great so talk to us a little bit more about um you know mexico people think of it in my mind right of like what they see in telenovelas what they see (laughs) on television how does cannabis impact race and class and colorism in mexico
1: well you know like now okay in mexico all people from the hood they always uh, consume marijuana since i have Memory and I've, like listened uh, my you know my elders histories but nowadays <laughs> they 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 are like some white again you know and that they are gentrifying the <laughs> the the marijuana you know now now you can like. As as the people say here, like in the hood, you don't have enough money to to have your own business. Even if you wanna put a taco place or you wanna put a chalupa place, you know, it's it's you you need money for that. But also, marijuana is the same. And over there in our hoods, a lot of my friends, because I have a lot of friends who are dealers, a bunch of them they are in in prisons. Um, they uh, they 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 are being convicted or Or now they are in jail, so it's the same. But of course, if there is a white Mexican guy or white Mexican woman who sells marijuana and wants to look very cool and very fancy, and you know, he opens like, oh, this is the kind of marijuana, and put a beautiful envelope, they don't do anything. Plus, of course, uh, I don't know how to say this in in English, but uh, over there we have chequeo de rutina, I think, like um, checkpoints or like. um, uh, like checkpoints no it's like uh like it's not a background check it's like uh for example you go on the streets and if the police uh say like eh hey, hey, sh- you 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 look so something weird so we're going to uh, yeah stop and freeze check. i gonna
2: stop like racial so
1: yeah. <laughs> of course if i go to this down to the street and, I, and I'm walking. Of course, me and my son, Audrey Fong, full of tattoos. I have dreadlocks. Uh, I don't dress like a fancy white ticket. So, of course, police, they're going to say, like, uh, uh, can I see your purse? Uh, let me check your... It's a, it's a check de routine, right? Mm-hmm. So, of course, white people doesn't, like, suffer like that. If they, mm-hmm. if they look, like, fancy and they go to... With, with a car full of marijuana, they're not going to be stopped. They're like, oh, this guy is a so very like important because maybe it's white and they have cars so it's the same i think it's the same colorism the people over there in latin america they say oh no no in latin america there is not racism there is classism of course there is classism but the racism in mexico is super super strong and i think all latin america because of colonization and nowadays we have that like for me like being this color in mexico like At this point, like, you know, you're going to have a good job. Maybe you don't have the same opportunities. Uh, Some people, if you go into a party, they're going to say, can you bring me a drink, please? (laughs) So, you know, it's like, it's it's hard. And it's getting harder if you come from a different, if you're indigenous, if you don't speak properly Spanish because only you speak your language. Um, If you are black Mexican, like Afro-Mexicans, sometimes they get uh, confused and they think they are from Honduras and they mexico afro mexican to Honduras and other places from Central America because this this year is the first year who they're gonna count afro mexicans in the census you know this year like it's the first year, so it's a lot of a lot of um ignorance in our system, but also a lot of uh, a lot of things that they don't like to talk about, like these kind of things like colorism, racism, and all that
2: awesome, thank you Audrey. so um, do you want to add anything else before we we move on
1: uh just like if you want to follow me in my in my on my instagram and all things spotify please on this time of uh, of pandemic my My job is cancel like 100 Mm -hmm. percent. I lose a lot of things. I lose tour, I lose a tour in Europe, I lose a tour in Mexico, I lose a lot of dates here. So if you can put play in any of my platforms, that could be very helpful because uh, being an independent artist is very hard nowadays. so if you can follow me i'm audrey funk and every single place and every single platform and i really appreciate it even if you don't speak spanish uh you will enjoy it the
2: I music guess. is amazing absolutely and Audrey has <laughs> she brings she brings that energy so she'll she lights it up um all right so we're coming to a close and i know that there were some some things that um folks want to talk a little bit more about. We already spoke about one big part, which people oftentimes overlook, and I'm just asking folks to stay stay on with us just for a little bit longer. We're almost, uh, we started a little late, so we're trying to make up a little bit of the time. Um, We spoke about immigration, right? And so Michelle um, spoke about this and Rabelan spoke about this, about um, how, you know, we're talking about it simply from a place of privilege, right? Where we don't have to worry about immigration being an issue uh, for ourselves. Um, but as it relates to expungement, whether it's immigration or just regular folks period, um, expungement is super important as well, because if I have a record, for example, and this is something that I learned from, from the folks on this panel, um, I, get, get, I can get kicked out of NYCHA housing. I can get kicked out of public housing. I may not have access to the same government benefits as well um because i have something on my record um so if i could have um i forgot who i think it was michelle who um i kind i cut you off um if you could talk briefly about just about expungement a little bit more and um why it's significant why we need to to fight if we're fighting for equity um how we can how we can do that all right um expansion is important because
3: Like other jurisdictions, they are going to require, you know, one of the um, requirements is that you not have any prior convictions. That's number one. Number two, in regards to impact, you know, litigation in regards to cannabis, those that live in federal housing like NYCHA, simple possession, simple Simple possession is grounds for them to be expelled or evicted from Niger. That's number one. So when we talk about how does social equity look in terms of how do we, you know, utilize the tax revenues, well, your federal government last year alone made $4.6 billion in cannabis sales re- revenue. That's number one. Why can't that money be used to go back into criminalized communities? That's number two. Number three, when you talk in regards to, you know, revenue, why not take money from the application fees as well as the licensing fees and make that a part of social equity and reinvest that money back into our criminalized communities there's a lot of different mechanisms um, that you can you know use Money can comes from application license and fees you know federal tax sale revenues of cannabis to go back into these criminalized communities but the most important thing is persons that are living in federal housing which are us mm-hmm. black And Latino, especially in the five boroughs, how they are mostly impacted by not only the arrests and convictions, but the fact that even living in NYCHA housing, they can't apply for their medical marijuana cards because you can't use Medicaid. You can't go into dispensaries. For sure. So that 's another issue, um, and I, I I think we need to talk a lot more because we 're being locked up and also being locked out mm-hmm. and as our talk about you know whitewashing well the indus- industry has been whitewashed already, yeah. and I think you know with this panel and other panels that 's going on throughout the Five boroughs, there needs to be more representation and ownership and inclusion of Black and Latino people. And that's
2: what I want to see. Awesome. Thank you, Michelle. Um, Rayblyn, Pilar, Audrey, and, and Michelle, I'll go around the horn for a second. I'll start with you, Rayblyn. Um, can you tell us one thing that our participants can do to support the movement for cannabis or marijuana legalization?
4: Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll say two things. One, this. should Go to the Start, Start Smart New York website and sign up to receive the newsletters and information and see all the aspects of what we're fighting for in MRTA that that, ha- that specifically talks about what does community investment look like, how we're fighting for criminal justice reform. Um, you know, so definitely get on and get involved in the work that we're doing because even though session ended, we're going to be doing more trainings and more um, work to do public awareness that we have a people's bill for marijuana legalization and they should join the effort. So that next session, we get to legalize marijuana on our terms, not on Cuomo's terms. So get on Start Smart New York, get on the listserv, find out what's happening. We have a lot of work groups. I head the cooperative work group. Pilat heads the community reinvestment work group. You can join. So whatever work group you want to join in, there's a bunch of work groups, criminal justice reform, medical reform, everything, you know, there's a lot. So get involved in the work second i am as part of green worker cooperatives we're doing a virtual training on march 21st the day after 420. um very specifically an info session about how uh green worker is going to be supporting people who want to start a a marijuana cooperative and so you'll be um eli northrup from bronx defenders um he and i are going to be i'm going to be talking about cooperatives in the MRTA and Eli is going to be talking about criminal justice reform and answer all the questions because Eli is the, one of the lead organizers for the, the defenders the criminal justice reform so he's going to be able to directly um, answer questions on what would legalization look like for your criminal record so you know, tune in on, 4, on 421. Um, I will send you the link when we have it set up. It's gonna be a virtual meeting like this one, but we'll be much more interactive. People can ask questions directly to us and we'll be able to answer them.
2: Awesome. Thank you, Ravelin. Uh Pilar, as you're, as you're uh, digging your eyes, sorry. Uh, what's one thing that folks can do um, to help support the movement for cannabis legalization?
0: Um, I think, you know, everything that Raven mentioned, definitely sign up, you know, reach out to me if you have questions, if you want to, like, we can't door knock right now. So, um, you know, I'm actively trying to figure out how we do get this word out digitally, especially around expungement, because again, it's actually like so much more than cannabis, you know, right? Yes, cannabis is an important factor right now. But I think that, you know, it's all intersected when they talk about housing. Um, we talk about the people who are still in prison right now for marijuana during this crisis. Um, and not only for marijuana, like, elderly who are sick, people who are just there for nonviolent crimes. Like, you know, there are people there who are still waiting for their court date, you know. And now everything's been pushed back. Like, you know, we're, we're also working on, uh, when I say we, National Expunging Week, we're working on um, some more meetings before expungement week. So stay tuned for that because it's going to be really important for us to show support to one another one, but like everything is happening and we're being harmed even more now. And if you think about what the New York state budget that just passed, is going to create more harmful barriers. And so I would say, really get involved at talk to one of us to see how you could do that because it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. I cannot say this enough. You know, I'm mentally exhausted as much as I want to profit in this industry. I, I, I want to make sure that my peoples are good. And right now with this crisis, they're not good. They're not, they weren't good before and now we're even worse. And you know, if we don't start really taking care of one another and really coming together and paying attention and, you know, I'm not trying to throw shade at the essential workers, but I think people are forgetting, too, the advocates who are there trying to push the legislators to to cancel rent, to pass. We were trying to get marijuana passed in the right way. They, they rolled back bail they rolled back bail reform. This is bad for us. And now, like, we see that everybody is still hyper um, enforcement going on and even more because of the crisis. So all I would say really is help out, get involved. And it's that it's not, it's beyond cannabis. And we really need to start looking at it like that too, because it's a war on black and brown people. and We know this, but we we everyone is doing different things and it instead we need to be more united. So just like support is needed in every level. And so I would say get involved in the the housing justice coalition, housing justice for all, the rent justice coalition, the start smart coalition, um, you know, the right to counsel coalition. And these are housing, but it's important. I would talk communities unite for police reform. Um, I forgot the, elder, the, the, the group that is leading the elder, the, trying to get elders out of prison, like look to your defenders, like Bronx, um, Bronx Defender Services, Eli is an amazing, he's got a lot of resources, or if you don't know him, just reach out to us, because right now, it, it's getting more aggressive, and you know, I don't think it is going to get better, and we're going to have to figure out ways to make sure that um, our
2: communities are prioritized, sorry, that was wrong. Thanks. All right. Um, Audrey, what are ways in which, (laughs) what are ways in which you think that folks can support the movement for cannabis uh, legislation?
1: Uh, I think um, as, uh, as I say, like, uh, like politics is everywhere. Right. Not only in activism, like when you do some something like that matters with different things, you are you are activated something. So if you can support it through your art, music, uh, dance, um, I don't know, if you paint, go and do that. It's another form to inform the people so that is important like as i i always say like i I'm, I'm, I'm a philosopher in the paper right and my my degree says that but the like the 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 scholar thing is very like you know polite and you have to use like words very beautiful and blah 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 but I think it's very it's it's, it's not the only way to do philosophy you can do it from another things, So it's the same with these kind of issues. Uh, philosophy, politics are in every single thing you are doing. So if you're doing advocating with something, you are giving like politics sense to that. So you can do whatever you think to, to, to be in touch with the legalization of marijuana and also educate yourself. Education is power and no... Your thing is power. If you are a consumer, you have to be a real, like, uh, uh, se dice? Uh, educated. Yeah, you have to be really educated. So that is important to the, like, in the path of the legalization. So, yeah, that that is my only thing.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Ajin. Hang on for one more minute. And Michelle, let us know how can, in your perspective, how can folks? what actions can they take to support the movement for cannabis legalization right get involved become proactive
3: um just immerse into the you know the industry the science the business aspect of the industry you know let your vote be your power um go to you know join normal you know other you know community-based organizations um, do smoke the vote. Go online to find out which you know the senators that are supporting you know legislation or against it. Just recently, three a.m. they just passed roll back the new um, the Bell reform. You need to know who, who who those senators are. You need to let your vote speak for itself, and we need to be involved and collectively as Black and Latino people. We need to understand the power that we have in our ne- in our own communities in regards to you know financing our businesses coming together in micro businesses and co-op businesses, and really 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 you know taking you know um, our power back and not asking. You know, taking our a chair at the table
2: in regards to ownership and visibility in this industry. Awesome, thank you, Michelle. So before we head out, um, Aji, can I ask you to spit a little rhyme or something for our?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh wow! (laughs) That was so like unexpected. (laughs) Oh, give me one second. Oh. Hi, hello, yes. yes. So yeah, why not? Uh but this is in Spanish, so it's okay. okay, cool dice, en ríos de violencia la carne parece de piedra la justicia no se asoma ni crea, y no creas que hay esperanza de que por tu mano se nivele la balanza, tu majadería ya no alcanza, sumisión no pido, manifestarme con gritos de confianza mi garganta no se cansa no, no, no me representas con tu política tus leyes y tu analítica no me representas Somos los nadie en tu estadística A través del arte resistimos Autogestión y resistimos La gente que con colores, palabras, sonido Que está ya te vuelve a la vida pa.
2: Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, <Audrey. laughs> and thank you folks for staying with us We went over a bit, but um, this was super informative um, Just like our folks have said Get involved. There's a place for everyone. So wha- whatever it is, whatever your interest is, Google it, find it. Now is the time everyone's online trying to manage through COVID-19. Um, so please do that. Um, if you have the ability to do so, the privilege to do so, go out and vote too. Like there are some 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 good, you know, this is politics as um, Pilar says, but I see this from a harm reduction perspective. What's the best way in order for you to be able to just reduce some of the fuckery that's happening right now and then find folks in your neighborhood that you can run um that you can support because we need to have more folks like us on there um really just um advocating um the last thing is please remember um folks like like audrey she is our activist um a combination of activists and and artists um support her in this time right now um folks can't we can't we're social distancing we're not seeing each other so so there's ways you can support all the folks who are here um follow them on on their um social media um if they um audrey can you just remind us again how folks can find you on on this on the interwebs um go right go right ahead
1: yeah uh audrey funk a-u-d-r-y-f-u-n-k everywhere everywhere, like Instagram, Facebook, Spotify, Apple Music, Lado Music, everywhere.
2: Awesome. Uh, rayblin how can people find you?
4: Oh, um, I am, my, my, my first name, it's unique. Just put up rayblin anywhere, rayblin Facebook, Twitter,
2: you know, even old school AOL. <laughs> <laughs> you took it to AOL. Thanks, rayblin. uh And Pilat, how can folks find you?
0: You can follow me on Instagram, P-Lars, P I
2: L A R S,
0: underscore Arenda, O R E N D A. Um, And on Facebook, um, T Pilar de Jesus. Um, I don't really do the Twitter thing, um, so I'm not on there. And um, yeah. Or you can email me at P as in Pilar de Jesus, D E J E S U S, -S 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 -S
2: -S 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 at takerootjustice.org. Thank you. And you can find us, you can follow us at blue dream radio underscore on Instagram, on, uh, Facebook, find us on our podcasts. Um, our friend, Michelle, Michelle fields, um, you can find her at the Mary Jane consulting group. Um, she um, had to uh, drop off early, but, um, Folks, if you're interested, you could always send us a message on Instagram and we can connect you to all of our wonderful panelists. So thank you so much for your time. Everyone stay well, wash your hands, um, listen to good music, make, create. You are are all artists. Being an artist is a revolutionary act. So whether you have a beautiful voice and skills like Audrey um, or your art is organizing, this is the time to do it. Uh, So peace
0: out, folks. Thank
2: you. Are you enjoying this podcast? If you haven't done so already, rate us. Your voice matters and gets us in front of new listeners every single day. Have a great weekend. Peace
0: felt just like mine's. i got worried i looked over to the left a reflection of myself that's why i couldn't catch my breath oops there goes my shirt up over my